This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Well, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, for Jesus is alive. Amen? Well, now we get the privilege of digging into God's Word, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, reading verses 12 through 21. So if you'll turn in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 5, and I'll begin in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. Hey, there we go. By the way, it's Pepsi. Um, (laughs) Chevy versus Ford. No, 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 no. Chevy, Chevy. All right, let me give you a layup. This is really, really easy. Dunkin' Donuts versus Rise and Roll Donuts. I mean, come on. There was like unanimous conclusion that it's Rise and Roll Donuts. Let's hear it for Amish Bakers. Can I get a witness? So those comparisons are, 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 you know, close. There's one way to compare things. We're comparing things that are very similar to one another. Uh, then there are ones that are even easier to compare and find the superiority in one. Like, for example, we could say, Sickness over health. Yes. Health. Better. Yes. How about uh, less money versus more money? Probably more money. How about death versus life? Life. Today we're celebrating life. And we're going to celebrate that as we dive into Romans chapter 5. This is a very fun text to study. Uh, by the way, John Piper calls this one of the most difficult texts in the original language to exegete. But what it does in Romans chapter 5 is it makes a comparison. And what we see in Romans 5 is a comparison of Adam's disobedience 
that brought death versus Christ's act of obedience on the cross and his resurrection that brought us life. On Friday, we focused on verses 12 through 14 where we talked about the death that came through Adam that resulted ultimately in the death of the Savior, Jesus Christ. We impacted the theology of death and then we drew some implications of what that death means to us. And Good Friday is always a dark time to talk about death, but necessary because you have to talk about the death to get to the life. You have to focus on the darkness to get to the light that Christ brings. And so today, we get to focus on the text that talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole point of the paragraph is the comparison between Adam and what was parallel but greater, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, how does all of that impact us? How does this impact you, and I want to tell you this morning, and my prayers that you'll see it, it impacts you greatly, and it should impact you daily. And let me show you how, when we actually jump into chapter 6 for a moment, look at chapter 6. Now, this is all one argument by Paul, and he gets into chapter 6, and I want you to see verses 4 and 5. Chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says this, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in Order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, for if we were united with him in a death like his, we certainly will be united with him in a resurrection like his. United in a resurrection brought to new life. Man, this should impact our every day. This is huge. But does it? Are we living like we need to in the victory of Christ? I mean, I, I know I struggle with it. Like I stand up here on Sunday morning frequently and preach about it. I'm in the counseling room and I'm talking to people about it. And do I really live most days under the banner of the victory I have in Christ, does what he accomplished for me by raising from the dead really shape the way that I think and feel? Does it in your life? I want to tell you, it needs to, and it can, and it's glorious when it does. Living in the victory that Christ brought us. In Adam, we have death. In Christ, we have the death of death. And we need to live in that victory. In fact, that's the big idea of the day. I want you to write it down. I will live in the victory of Jesus Christ. I will live in the victory of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens in the text is this. What we see going on is Paul makes several different comparisons. As he compares Adam to Jesus, there are several different angles he takes. And I want to grab each of those to talk about how it impacts us in our life. So let's start with this one. Write it down. A victorious standing. Because Christ rose from the dead, because of the victory of Christ, I have, write it down now, a victorious standing. A victorious standing. And I want you to help see this as you focus in on verse number 18. Let your eyes fall on verse number 18, which says this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, do you see the contrast? 
In Adam, we have condemnation. But in Christ, we have justification. We are or were condemned. Now, both of these words, by the way, condemnation, justification, they're legal words, and they talk about your standing before a judge, how you appear before a judge. And the word condemnation means this. Here's a, a quote from a lexicon that, that uh, describes this word or defines this word. It says this, to judge someone as definitely guilty and thus subject to punishment, to condemn, to render a verdict of guilt and condemnation. I need to borrow somebody. Aaron, you're nice and handy. Why don't you come here for a second? Uh, Aaron is a criminal. Did you know this? He's a criminal. And because of his... You didn't know. I know. (laughs) I know, Aaron. I know. And uh, because he's a criminal, he deserves to be punished. He's condemned. Now, I'm going to let you sit down for a minute because I'm going to bring you up here in a second again. Um... Most of us understand that our sin has condemned us to the punishment. And I think that most Christians are walking about most days feeling that condemnation. And I think if you're honest with me, if we were sitting down having a cup of coffee together, we were just kind of sharing our heart a little bit and I began to ask you some questions, it would be pretty evident that probably you feel condemned often. And you live in the standing of one condemned Take Jack, for example. Here's Jack, and uh, he thinks about his walk with Christ, and he's not where he should be. Jack's not reading his Bible like he should read his Bible. He knows he should be doing better than that, and he feels guilty about it. Jack's not praying like he should pray, and he knows that. And, and so when he comes to church, and he's asked those questions, he just kind of feels guilty about that. Even, even more than that, man, he's really struggling keeping his mind pure. And it's been a real fight for him. And he struggles with it all the time. And so he just looks at the failure. He looks at who he is. He looks at who he should be. And he just feels the weight of the gap. And whenever he thinks about Jesus, what he feels is guilt and shame and condemnation. If you live there, do you know that you're living under the death of Adam and not under the life that's available to you in Christ? Because look at the comparison in the text. Let your eyes fall on verse number 18. We were condemned, but now we are, what's the word? Justified. Justified. Justified is the exact opposite of condemnation. Where condemnation is a declaration of guilt resulting in punishment, justification is a declaration of innocence resulting in freedom. Aaron is a criminal. And you're writing notes so well, and I'm interrupting you. Come up here, criminal. And because of his criminality, he deserves to be punished. But what if a judge said, you know what? Instead of punishing you, I'm going to set you free. In fact, I'm going to declare you as innocent. All of these crimes that you've done are off your record. They're done. And now you are free to live as if those are completely wiped out. And you're free in Christ, or you're free from the judge. See that? You want to hug me? <laughs> okay, you can if you want to. All right. I'm not going to pass up a hug. Well, well, that's good. And you should do that. Thank you. And we should have that heart every day. Because you're no longer condemned, you're justified. 
And the moment you come to God, you can stand in that justification. So let's go back to, to Jack for a moment. So, so, hey, should Jack feel guilty about his failures? I'm going to say, yes, there should be some mourning. There should be some guilt. There should be some of that. But guilt should push us to the cross. And what we do is we confess our sins to God. Man, I'm not reading my Bible like I should. You know what, God, please forgive me for my failure to read my Bible more and, and, and to pray more. And God, you know I'm really struggling in my thoughts right now. Would you just please forgive me for my struggle? And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to say it with me, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we've been justified. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, we think we need to beat ourselves up. We think we need to feel guilty. We think we need to, man, I'm so stupid. Why am I not reading my Bible more? Why am I not doing this better? We build this. But here's, here's the truth. Guilt is the wrong motivation. Guilt is the wrong motivation. God's grace, the grace is, is God's way of motivating us to obey. Why? Because he forgives me again and again and again, and he loves me still, and I want to be near and close to the God that loves me still. Now, do we repent? I spent a whole last sermon talking about the importance of repentance, not messing around with sin, calling sin what it is, and, and confessing it and turning from it. But look, repentance brings grace. And what we are to do is to stand in that grace. Is it really okay to stand in grace? Is it really okay to do that? Shouldn't I stand in guilt and not grace? Well, would you let your eyeballs fall on chapter 5 of Romans, verse 2? Chapter 5, verse 2, look what the text says. Through him... We have, act, we have obtained access by faith into this church grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Man, is that your life? Church, is that your life? As you contemplate your standing before God, would you say that most days you live condemned or justified? Think about it. Think about it. you lived life this past week, right? How was your relationship with God? Did you did you kind of have distance because you feel the gap? You feel the shame, and so you're not quite approaching him. Do you know that his forgiveness will bring you close? And again, I ask, would you say that you live most days condemned or justified? How long does it take you to feel forgiven once you've confessed? How long does it take you to live forgiven once you've confessed? I'm just telling you, we need, we need to understand the incredible joy of our standing. Why? Why do you have that standing? Because you earned it? No, because Jesus rose again. Say it with me. Because Jesus rose again, you have a victorious standing. Not only that, we also have a victorious identity, a victorious identity. Now, we're going to see this in the text. We're in verse 18. Let's let our eyes fall on verse number 19 now. Verse number 19, if you would, please. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, they were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made 
righteous. Really interesting way of putting things. Now, by the way, these build on one another. Okay, once you really understand your victorious standing, now it's time to begin to adopt a victorious identity. And your identity needs to change from what it was to what it is. Well, what it was, was we were sinners. We were sinners. That's what defined us as people. And the word of God's very clear about that. Here's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We were sinners. That's what we did. In fact, Romans teaches more about this. Here's Romans 3 where it says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. Watch. None is righteous. No, not one. But my grandma's pretty righteous. Nope, not your grandma. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. It's what we call the total depravity of man. We're complete sinners. In fact, Romans has even more to say about it. Here's way back in Romans 1 where he says this. Describing mankind, Paul says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips. Slanders, are you doing okay so far? How are you doing so far? Doing all right? Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. There we go. Now we're all guilty for sure. Especially your kids. Verse number 31. <laughs> Foolish, fatherless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but give approval for those who practice them right? It's easy to say them, them, but no, that's, that was us. That was us. And you couldn't help it. You had no power over sin. What do sinners do? That was us. But, verse 19, look at this again. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Oh, this is so good. Watch this now. So by one man's obedience, the many were made, what does your Bible say? Righteous. We were sinners. We are now righteous. We are now righteous. This is our standing before God. And, and how did that happen? Well, we were imputed the sin of Adam. We were in Adam when he sinned, and we sinned ourselves. But now, through Christ, we have been given or imputed the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin. I said that the New King James way. Let me say it the ESV way. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Man, what have we become? What did it just say? We become the righteousness of God. That's really righteous. And as you stand before God now, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your place. Now, is that how you think about your identity? Your identity is important. How you identify yourself will impact your behavior teenage girl who finds acceptance in the goth movement or whatever it's called will begin to dye her hair and do her makeup differently and I guess wear a spiked collar around her neck and 
her attitude will change and things will change and things she says will change because of her identity. You might know people who are caught up in the LGBTQ plus community and I'm telling you they are very proud of that identity. They will let you know about that identity and it, and it changes the way they act. If you consider yourself an athlete, you probably dress like an athlete. If you're a sci-fi geek, you might just have some sci-fi t-shirts in your closet and maybe even a Jedi robe in your <laughs> closet. I don't, okay? I don't have one. I tried to buy one. It was in the cart, and then Courtney saw it, and she said no. So I, I don't have one anymore. This is important. Here's why it's important. And this is where the resurrection of Jesus Christ and your life are going to really impact because you're no longer a slave to sin. Do you understand that? You are no longer a slave to sin. This is what Paul is going to do next in Romans. Take a look at Romans 6. Continue down to Romans 6 just for a minute again and watch this now. What shall we say? It's all the same argument again. And what shall we say then? Because all these things we're talking about. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? We're dead to sin. Would you say, I'm dead to sin? Say it. I'm dead to sin. Tell your neighbor, you're dead to sin. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if there's been a time when you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you've realized your sin, believe that he died for your sin and rose again, and you're trusting in that death and resurrection, you're a new creation, and you're dead to sin. In fact, it goes on. I want you to go all the way down to verse number 12. So this is 6.12 now, 6.12. Watch this. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin does not have rule over my life anymore. So can I go back to the question that I asked at the beginning of the sermon today when I said, do you live daily in the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you telling yourself, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to this, I don't have to do this. Mark was alone in his home, his wife had gone to a conference and the kids were all over at his mom's and so there he was alone late at night in front of his computer and the old temptation was just so strong. Everything he could ever imagine he would want to see is available with a click. And it feels overwhelming. It feels overpowering. But if he's in Christ, sin has no dominion. And Mark can say in this moment, you know what? I am dead to that. Come on, say it with me. I am dead to that. I'm dead to that. And I'm alive in Christ. And I have new power in Christ. And I don't have to sin. 
You can walk away victorious. Sally was scrolling on her phone through her social media and all the pictures of all the other moms and how awesome all the other moms are were coming up in her feed. And boy, they were doing this whole quarantine thing a whole lot better than she was. They were doing TikToks and two dads and whatever else the kids are into these days. And I'm 46, I should know these things, I guess. But anyway, they were scrolling through and oh, they were just having so much fun. And then she sees her coworker who's on the beach with her husband. She feels that jealousy. And then she feels guilty about the jealousy that she feels. And, and about a thousand times over as she's scrolling through her social media, these things are impacting her life. Listen, Sally, put your phone down. You don't have to give in to jealousy and envy. You don't have to. You can say out loud if you need to, I'm dead to that. Say it, church. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to false guilt and shame because I stand in the righteousness of Christ. And Sally can rejoice in what she has in Jesus. And I can go on and on, give you example after example, but it's all about your identification. You can live in failure, you can do that, but it's the exact opposite of what this text teaches us to do. We're to walk in the newness of life and the victory we have in Christ. So let's say it together. I will walk in the victory of Christ. Say it. I will walk in the victory of Christ. That's what we want to do. So now some questions to help you kind of lean in on this. Who are you? How do you identify yourself? Do you think more about your failure as a sinner or more about the victory you have in Christ? Is your life marked with joy because of the, listen, is your life marked with joy because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus? Man, we tend to focus so much on ourselves, don't we? And do you know that pride and self-loathing are two sides of the same coin? Do you know that? It's a self-focus. And I hate myself and I hate myself. Well, you're focusing on yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus and what he's done for you and who he is for you. Come on, man. I want you to live this week thinking about what Christ has done and the joy it can bring you. That's your identity. That's who you are. Victorious standing will lead to a victorious identity. And living in that identity, lastly, church will do this. It will lead to a victorious life. Write it down, a victorious life. I'm going to finish out this text as we let our eyeballs fall on verses 20 and 21. Check this out. This is awesome now. Verses 20 and 21, verse 20 says this, now the law came in to increase the trespass. There's a whole bunch I can unpack there without the time, let's just move forward. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now watch verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, would you just underline the word reigned for a minute? As sin reigned in death, grace also might, there's the word again, reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, that word reign is there twice. In fact, if you go back to verse number 17, it's there as well. Look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace 
and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. That word reign is key. Who's on the throne of your life? What's on the throne of your life? Death, condemnation, sin? Or sitting on the throne of your life, is there something else that leads you into that victorious life? How many want to live a victorious life in Christ? Like live out the victory in Christ. I want to do that. Okay, how do we do it? How does that happen? It comes as we focus on the subject that leads to life, and it's a word that's repeated over and over again in this text, and here's what it is. It, to live the victorious Christian life, I live in grace, in grace. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Well, look back at the text. Look back at verse number 20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but here it is. Where sin increased, church, grace abounded all the more. Sin used to reign in my life, and sometimes I still let it. And my sin just seems to abound. Like, I really feel like in some regards, I, this is true, I'm living in more victory than I ever have in, in some of the sin that I, that I struggled with in my life. It's great, only to discover there's a whole bunch of other sins that are getting victory in my life too often. So just as I think I'm growing, I just am finding all these other things, and it seems like my sin just keeps getting deeper and more, and I'm discovering more and more about my sin, and my, and my sin seems to abound. But what did the text say? Where sin abounded, what happens? Grace abounds all the more. Grace abounds all the more. You know, grace is such a key word in all of this, and I want to show you several places. So I want you to go back to 5-2, and every time we see the word grace, I want you to say it out loud, okay? So we're going to go back to, we're going to participate here together, reading of Scripture. So here's Romans 5, verse number 2, and I just want to show you the abundance of grace in this text. So it can, because, because, because it's hard to believe we can live in grace. It's hard to believe that that's okay to live in grace, but see it in the text. Here's uh, Romans 5, 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this, come on church, grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Love that. Let your eyes fall on verse 15, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 17, for if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more would those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life to the one man, Jesus Christ. And again, one more time, verse number 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace, 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 grace. How do I put this on, man? How do I live in all of this? I do it by living in grace, thinking about grace, putting on grace. It's an amazing thing. Through Adam, we had death. Through Jesus, we have the death of death. And we have that only through his grace. What is grace? What is grace? Uh, the theological definition of grace is the unmerited favor of God. And though that's so true, it's a little 
cold. So what are some other things we can say to describe grace? Well, the uh, uh, New Testament uh, uses the word grace. And the idea is, again, God's love for us is abounding love for us. The Old Testament, the word is chesed. And that word is fun to say. Could you go chesed? Come on, say it with me. Chesed. See, I told you it's fun. And we've got more fun words later. So, so the chesed, in, in uh, the ESV translates that steadfast love. Isn't that cool? Steadfast love. Like, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to keep on loving you no matter what. That's grace. And that's yours in Christ. And all that's good, but sometimes it's best to just describe grace in a story. As I think about the stories, I love the story in the Bible of Mephibosheth. That's another fun word to say. Come on, say it. Mephibosheth. By the way, if we have any more children, we get dibs on that name, okay? We're not having any more children, though. So it's free. It's yours. You can use it. Um, do you know the story of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. So when Saul died and David took the throne, it was customary for the king to kill everybody in the family who could potentially rise up and take the throne. And so what happened was Mephibosheth's nurse got scared and she takes the baby and she begins to run to escape what she thinks is going to be David's wrath. And she trips and she falls and she breaks the baby's leg. And back then, she she couldn't just go to the hospital. She couldn't just take him to the ER. And so they they escape and they go to the land of Lodabar. And the baby grows up with this crippled leg. And back in that day, if you were crippled, you were poor, you were nothing in society. You were looked down on. So he was a beggar and a cripple. Decades pass, and David remembers his friendship with Jonathan. And he says, I wish there was someone in Jonathan's family that I can show grace, chesed, steadfast love to. One of the servants remembers Mephibosheth. And so he gets the guards, and he goes to get Mephibosheth. Now, Picture yourself as Mephibosheth. You're in Lodabar, this desert land. You're a beggar. And come knocking on the door are the king's guards. And you're like, oh, no, he found me. He found me, and now I'm dead. And Mephibosheth falls on his face and says, I am a dog, and begs for his life. But instead of killing him, the guards pick him up, and they bring him back to the palace with David. And David makes him a son and Mephibosheth, the Bible says, he eats at the sumptuously from the king's table continuously. I bet there was fried chicken on that table. I bet there was. <laughs> because Mephibosheth earned it? No. Because David just decided to love him. And that's just small little example of the way that God loves you. I want you to say, God loves me. Say it. God loves me. God loves you with a steadfast love, with an unending love. That's grace. And if you're going to live the life victorious, listen to me now. You live 
from that grace, not for it. Man, I, I was kind of taught to live for the grace. Oh, you, you listen, you got to read your Bible. God's going to be mad at you if you don't. You, you, you got to pray or you're going to upset Jesus. And it wasn't ever said that way, but it's kind of taught that way. So you're always thinking that, really picturing God as being kind of upset with you and frustrated with you in heaven. But that's not the case. No, 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 no. You're righteous. You're declared innocent. Your sin is forgiven. And all he does is has grace for you. And the moment that you sin, yes, you confess your sin. God, forgive me, man. I should be doing better. I shouldn't do that. But in that moment, grace comes rushing into your life. And you do that again, and you do that again, and you do that again. And I'm telling you, it's yours because of Christ. Because he died and he rose again. And now he lives. <laughs> he lives. Can I get a witness? And he's at the right hand of the Father and he's making intercession for you, defending you in his grace. Amen? Amen. Are you living in that? How often is that on your mind this last week? I'm telling you, put that on today, tomorrow, Tuesday, all throughout the week, man. Live in his grace and watch the change that happens as he draws your heart close to him. So let's pray for a moment and ask God to help us with all of this. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of what it means to us, not just a theological, intellectual, not certainly that, but not just that. God, if we leave the risen Savior just in the realm of intellect and not in the realm of passionate heart change, if we, we've missed the point. We really did deserve hell and death, but Jesus died in our place. Death is really strong. Everyone dies and no one can defeat it. But Jesus defeated death. Father, he did it for me. It's mine now. All of it is mine to enjoy and to live in. So God, help me live in it. Now we walk in the newness of life. And help our church put that on. And help us to do it all for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.